0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate, or you can go to coffee slash U. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by... with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10 plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10 and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird. C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history Just go to my username, Bardo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. Before I start, I want to say hello to the newest patron of the podcast, Wendy Mills. Thank you for becoming a patron. I really appreciate it. And I also want to say thank you to all of the wonder people who have donated over the past week. Steve Kellen, Glenn, Elaine Robotai, Gary Pittman, and Rachel Enns. And Gary Pittman is sponsoring this episode because of his donation. Of course, I also want to thank Jeff Hershey, who also donated. Probably recognize some of those theme songs they all come from CBC shows over the course of nine decades the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation has become an integral part of the Canadian identity it has brought us shows that have shaped the culture of Canada covered the events that became part of our heritage and served as a repository for our past today I'm looking at the start of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation To get to the very start of the CBC, we need to first go back almost 100 years to 1929 when the Aired Commission on Public Broadcasting was held. This commission would recommend the creation of a national radio broadcast network. At the time the Aired Commission was held, there were only a few dozen radio stations in Canada and very few Canadians actually had radios. The first radio station, XWA Montreal, had only been set up in 1919. By 1923, the Canadian National Railway started to use radios on its trains through three stations, while some newspapers had stations, as did universities, churches, the Manitoba government, and a few private individuals. These were often only on for a few hours a day, and they shared frequencies. Most people listened to American radio at night, but things began to change in 1928 when the Bible Students Association began to bitterly attack the government and the Catholic Church over the airwaves. This would cause Arthur Cardin, the Minister of Marine and Fisheries, to revoke the license of the Association. Cardin said, quote, The reasons for the cancellation of that license were the same as those advanced for the cancellation of the others. Representations have been made both for and against the cancellation of this license. End quote. This caused a heated discussion in the House of Commons with J.S. Woodsworth, a Labor MP accusing Cardin of censoring religious opinions and putting limits on free speech. Woodsworth would complain that the majority of complaints came from the area of Toronto rather than the Canadian Prairies. In response to the debate in December 1928, Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King formed the aired commission to come back with a report on policy. From April 17th to July 24th of 1929, The Commission heard 164 oral statements and 124 written statements from all nine provinces. The Commission members would also travel to Germany and the United States to see those networks. In all, it was estimated Commission members traveled 48,000 kilometers to 56,000 kilometers, good for a trip and a bit around the world. The Commission would release its report on September 11, 1929, recommending a national public radio station. The Commission proposed seven high-powered stations be set up costing $2.5 million with funding through radio set licenses, advertising, and government subsidies. The reason a national network was recommended was due to the growing influence of American radio stations broadcasting into Canada, and there was a concern that this would erode the Canadian identity without any intervention. In one letter sent to Maclean's on June 1st, 1930, it would state, quote, Judging by my own experience, I might say the experiences of all listeners in this part of the Dominion, I can certainly say that the aired report states the truth. I can tune in regularly to stations at Seattle, Oakland, San Francisco, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Denver, but consider it an achievement to get a station at Vancouver, Victoria, Calgary, or Edmonton. End quote. Charles Bowman of the Aired Commission would reiterate this, stating, quote, Government control of broadcasting is the only means by which we can prevent the United States domination of the Canadian air. There is no prospect of anything but radio subordination to the United States unless Canadian stations are nationally owned, controlled, and operated, end quote. There is not universal support for the Commission's findings, though. La Presse in Montreal would be openly against it, saying that the aired Commission menaced the trade and commerce of radio. It would state in an editorial, quote, because of the conclusions of the report of the aired Commission on Radio in Canada menaced directly their interests, representatives of industry and commerce throughout the Dominion owe it to themselves to prevent and oppose all attempts to put these conclusions into effect, End quote. The government of William Lyne Mackenzie King would lose the 1930 election, but a new Prime Minister, Conservative R.B. Bennett, did not scrap the recommendations of the report, but it was delayed due to the economic crisis of the Great Depression. Graham Spry and Alan Plant would lobby heavily for the new national network on behalf of the Canadian Radio League. The organization had been founded in 1929 so that it could lobby for the implementation of the recommendations of the Aired Commission. The two men would use the organization to influence public opinion, making their case across Canada to trade unions, farm groups, businesses, churches, the Royal Canadian Legion, universities, and more. They would even meet with the Governor-General on December 8, 1930. They would also meet with Alfred Darren lowe the Minister of Marine and Fisheries, and he would say, quote, To this end, the government has been studying the whole radio problem and hope to be able to present a solution that would serve the best interest of the country. Quote. The two men would use young people to help get the message out as well. The Ottawa citizen would write, quote, it's largely the vision of young Canada that such promising headway has been made in the crusade to save the Canadian radio realm, end quote. By this point, 500,000 Canadians had radios. The Hated and the Dead is a fantastic podcast, each episode of which investigates the life of a controversial political figure. Think of it as Louis Thoreau's Weird Weekends of the World of Politics, or Piers Morgan's Life Stories, but with slightly more palatable hosts. Subscribe to The Hated and the Dead on the podcast platform of your choice to hear weekly interviews about the world's biggest narcissists with journalists, politicians, and academics. Due to the efforts of the Canadian Radio League, the government of R.B. Bennett created the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission through the Canadian Broadcasting Act on May 26, 1932, Bennett would say on the day of its creation, quote, "The country must be assured of complete Canadian control of broadcasting from Canadian sources. Without such control, broadcasting can never be the agency by which national consciousness may be fostered and sustained, and national unity still further strengthened." End quote. There would also be high praise for the new radio service. The Drumheller Review wrote, quote, "Harmony reigned in the House of Commons when the radio control bill was under review." Party lines were forgotten, suggestions and advice flew back and forth across the chamber, and unanimously the measure was given a second reading and all but one or two clauses passed through committee. Bennett would also state that politics would play no part in selecting the personnel of the commission, suggesting the liberals present a list of men acceptable to them. It was also stated by Bennett that the provinces would have a say in program selections on the radio commission. The Canadian National Railway's radio network, which kept passengers entertained and gave the railway a leg up over its rival Canadian Pacific, would become the basis of this new radio network. Hector Charlesworth, the editor of the Saturday Night Magazine, was made the first chairman of the CRBC. His salary would be $12,000 or about $214,000 a year, which was no small amount during the Great Depression. The CRBC then bought radio stations in Ottawa, Vancouver, and Moncton for $50,000, along with some stations in Toronto, Windsor, Montreal, and Quebec City. Most of these stations have been owned by the Canadian National Railways. and At first, the Commission had two hours of national programming a week, from 9pm to 10pm on Tuesdays and Thursdays. By the fall of 1935, the Commission was broadcasting on weekdays for a total of six hours and longer on weekends. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, It should be possible for the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission also to make arrangements through the British Broadcasting Corporation to take some of the Empire Broadcasting from overseas. The desire in Great Britain is to come to an exchange arrangement with Canada to have reciprocal broadcasts. Quote. While the Canadian Radio League was instrumental in the creation of the CRBC, they were unhappy with how it was set up. The League expressed regret that a salary commission was to be appointed to oversee the CRBC. The Owen Sun-Times said, quote, It has been felt by the League that the commission should be composed of volunteer workers to ensure greater freedom from political interference and constituting a buffer between the government and the operating organization. End quote. The League stated that it would remain in existence as a watchdog and critic of the CRBC. The first programs to be broadcast on the network would be the Metropolitan Opera from New York, Radio Theatre Guild and the Young Bloods of Beaver Band. One program created early in the life of the CRBC was Saturday Night Hockey, which became the Imperial Oil Hockey broadcast in 1934 and would eventually become known simply as Hockey Night in Canada. They're at
1: the 11 minute mark in the third period. Maple Leafs won Detroit Red Wings, no score. The face-off will be in the leaf zone at this end. The crowd urging on the Red Wings. You can hear them. Russell wears Abel playing inside the leaf zone. Apps and the Nick Mc- Metz and Don Metz clear it back of their own net. Apps rolled a pass and Abel stopped. Abel falls, then grabbed the puck for a further face-off. Campman starts shoving with Stewart. And the play is stopped. Stewart and Campman. Somebody throws a somebody throws a fish on the ice. Well, that is one for the book. From here, it looks like a herring. It's a herring, all right.
0: The North Bay Nugget would say the Snyder family who listened to the broadcast, quote, Saturday night hockey broadcasts always finds the two boys glued right tight to the Snyder family radio and their dad says that when King Clancy goes tearing down the ice there is just no holding jack." End quote. Northern Messenger was a weekly show that was aimed to Canadians who lived in the far north with personal messages from the RCMP, missionaries, trappers, family and friends. The show consisted of listener letters, messages from loved ones, news and recorded music. In the winter of 1934-35, 933 messages were transmitted. Of those, 466 were correctly received, while 14 were not heard at all, and 453 were heard with difficulty due to atmospheric conditions. During the first winter-spring period, 1,754 messages were sent out. The next year, 2,854. The following year, 6,250. An example of a message appeared in McLean's in January 1937, which stated, quote, And here's a message for Corporal Patty Hamilton. Craig Harbour, thanks for the letters. They were great. All very disappointed that you did not come out. Sorry you won't have a Christmas box. We can make up for that next year. Glad you and Mac are so happy together. Good luck to you both. Annie and Pete, and here's another for Corporal Mac Witter, away on the same roof. Letters received via Denmark. Many thanks. Hope you received box. Glad you're well. Many happy returns of November 5th. Love and best wishes from all the family, father and mother. End quote. By 1937, this was increased to nearly 8,000 messages, and the program would actually continue to run until the 1970s.
2: Hello again to all our friends in the Canadian Arctic and the Northwest Territories. Here's another program in the Northern Messenger Service, bringing you letters and messages from your families and friends in many countries with news of home. Tonight, we go through the alphabet from A to Z. And we've got quite a stack of mail here, so we'll ask Norm Nickelwright to start right in. Norm, righto. And the first two are to the Amy's, Constable and Mrs. Harry Amy, Fort Liard. First message from Mother, Hope you are both well. We have had wonderful weather here so far. Dave is still in hospital, have written all particulars, have not had a letter since Christmas. Dad has been to Fred's. Doctor has not heard anything more, but hope he is feeling better. Love from all at home. God bless you, Mother. And the other one to the Amys comes from Mum Andres. Hope you are well. We're looking forward to March mail. Is it cold enough up there? Roline is getting a car. We'll see more of them. Best of luck. Now to Mr. and Mrs. Roy Alto, Chesterfield Inlet. Belated birthday wishes, Dora. You fared much better than I last year. Regards to Roy and the boys. Love to yourself and the children, and that comes from Rita. Can I lend you a handkerchief? Uh, Thank you. Pick that one up. In 1935,
0: the CRBC would provide national radio coverage of the 1935 federal election. This was the first time that the Canadian election results were broadcast across the country. During the election, the CRBC broadcast a series of 15-minute soap operas called Mr. Sage, which were critical of William Lyne Mackenzie King and the Liberal Party. Robert Lucas played Uncle Sage, who told the public that the Liberals were scoundrels. The Liberals demanded that the sponsor of the Sage series be identified in each episode, and this was done with R.L. Wright, an employee of the conservative ad agency, being listed as a sponsor. King would write in his diary, quote, I learned this afternoon that at this morning's special committee meeting, it was disclosed that Bennett had been present in the studio and listened to Mr. Sage broadcasts when they were rehearsed. End quote. Not surprisingly, the network was criticized by the liberal opposition for being biased towards the governing conservatives. In April 1936, the Moose River mine disaster occurred. Three men were trapped in the mine 141 feet below the surface, and rescue crews were working to save them. CRBC arranged to send an engineer with announcer Frank Willis to the mine head to report on the scene every half hour for five days.
1: Herman McGill is dead. Two others, Dr. D.E. Robertson and Albert Scaddings of Toronto, Ontario, are still in the depths of Moose River Mines late this afternoon. They can hang on for eight or ten hours more. But that won't be necessary, we don't think. The latest word sent up through the pipeline, which has been sunk into the pit by a diamond drill, brings word from the men below that they can hear tappings. They can hear the men in the workings breaking down the rock to get through to them. It is a broken country down here, drab and desolate, almost impenetrable from the outside word, world. You come in over roads, almost impossible a country of scrub and second growth, of rock. Rock, relentless, hard, cruel hard. It is against rock of this sort that miners for the past week have fought and fought, grim-lipped, determined, every hour, every minute, risking their lives a thousand times, an hour, a minute, in this satanic battle to save the lives of two Toronto men. And they're winning their fight. Inch by inch, the rock is retreating. But another force, sinister and relentless, is creeping up from behind to possibly snatch a hard-earned victory from these gallant men who have worked so long and so well. We cannot describe to you very well in in a few moments the anguish, the mental anguish and the suffering that these men have gone through in the past few, or the past week, rather, the past eight days. That's the length of time they've been in prison there, but you followed that all in the press. And it is this water peeping creeping slowly through a thousand fissures and the crushed and broken walls of the mine that now sends us the greatest warning the water is rising
0: willis would earn high praise for his work during the disaster the new york daily news wrote quote willis the canadian radio commission announcer has done a good job which surely places him in the forefront of his profession willis's work has been free of maudlin and sensational drama it is a matter of opinion, of course, but all will agree that he stuck to his job and gave the best he had, End quote. The leader posed a report that one woman from Indian Head wanted him to be recognized for his work. It stated, quote, An Indian Head woman, sending a donation to the Red Cross, wrote that she hoped that Frank Willis, the radio announcer who reported the rescue, would be recognized as well as the miners, quote. After the Liberals won a landslide victory in 1935, King made it one of his priorities to replace the CRBC with a new entity. The Windsor Star reported, Even though the Conservatives did not gain much, if anything, in the way of votes for the radio broadcasts of a certain Mr. Sage, they at least succeeded in arousing the indignation of not a few Liberals, including Prime Minister Mackenzie King. Still smarting under the words of wisdom that poured from the lips of this Conservative oracle, Liberals are planning to make these broadcasts one of the subjects of an inquiry by a select parliamentary committee, end quote. legislation would be introduced to create the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation as a crown corporation with an arm's length relationship with the government. The management of the CRBC was then dismissed, and the new CBC launched officially on November 2nd, 1936. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, "It is gratifying that Canada has acted in time to save the broadcasting service in this country." for the benefit of the people of Canada. It can be developed through the years as an enduring cultural heritage rather than as an opportunity for commercial exploitation. Quote. The first show to be broadcast on the CBC the day the organization was created was the Fundy Singers out of St. John, followed by a music program out of New York. A few days later, there would be a nationwide reunion of the Canadian Corps over the radio. Broadcast out of a banquet from Toronto, It would run from 9 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. and be opened by Lady Curie, the widow of Arthur Curie. It would also include addresses by officers who served in France, broadcasting out of Halifax, Quebec, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Regina, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. This new network was funded through a license fee on receiving sets of $2.50, and there was a strong focus on ensuring that it was not subjected to political pressure. The eight network-owned and operated radio stations and 14 privately-owned network affiliates would then transfer to the CBC. Leonard Brockington would become the first head of the CBC.
2: Good evening. I am speaking to you as chairman of a board of governors of a corporation of which you are at once the shareholders, the debenture holders, and the patrons. I refer, of course, to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation which at midnight on Sunday last succeeded the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission in the control of national radio as a Canadian public service. Of necessity, I must speak to you somewhat informally, and perhaps indefinitely. But before I attempt to explain the duties of the new board, or to outline briefly the hopes of your new trustees... I feel sure that every thoughtful listener in Canada would wish the incoming governors to express your thanks and their thanks to Hector Charlesworth, his associates, and their staffs for their pioneer services in the development and progress of national broadcasting. They drove their furrows in an unbroken field. They faced many difficulties and obstacles, national and international, constitutional and technical. Their work remains as a Canadian achievement and an encouragement to those who inherit the fruits of their labor. Your new board consists of nine governors or directors. The corporation is in the main independent of any government department. Its powers are wide, and cover every phase of broadcasting, both public and private. The Dominion government shares, or exercises, of course, some necessary control in matters affecting international agreements, commitments for the expenditure of monies, the expropriation of properties, the formal approval of bylaws, and the allotment of station
0: licenses, wavelengths, and power. One year later, in 1937, the first French station, CBF Montreal, opened. New transmitters were also installed in Toronto and Montreal, boosting coverage in the country from 46% to 76%. The CBC would become an important source of news and entertainment during the Second World War and into the post-war era. On September 6, 1952, television broadcasts began on the CBC with the opening of CBFT and CBLT in Montreal and Toronto. On July 1, 1958, CBC's television signal was extended from coast to coast. In 1963, the Forest Rangers became the first CBC show broadcast in colour. In 1978, CBC became the first broadcaster in the world to use an orbiting satellite for television service. And while there is criticism of the CBC in various sectors of the government today, the impact of the Crown Corporation on Canada is undeniable, but it all began in 1929 with a commission and an idea. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the CBC. Next week we're looking at the Trans Canada Pipeline. If you like, you can email me at craig@canadaehx.com. At you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C R A I G B A I R D, and I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills. Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews. Joanna Parker. Jeff Dahl. Vobs. Robert Page. Richard D. Colin Johnson. Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's Canadian Encyclopedia, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, Broadcasting History, Edmonton Journal, Red Deer Advocate, Windsor Star, Vancouver Province, Montreal Gazette, Ottawa Citizen, Drumheller Review, Owen Sun Times, North Bay Nugget, and the Regina Leader Post. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.